Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. When Norman Baker arrived in Eureka Springs, Arkansas in 1937, he brought along promises of a miracle cure to cancer. His methods, he claimed, combined with the power of the healing springs in the area, would be potent medicine against the disease. Ailing patients flocked to the town deep in the Ozark Mountains, seeking treatment at the Baker Cancer Curing Hospital. Many were removed under the cover of night, having succumbed to their illnesses, with Baker trying to hide their deaths and obscure the fact that his treatments were no more than smoke and mirrors. After Baker was run out of town as a fraud and a huckster, the building, which had been previously known as the Crescent Hotel and Spa, fell into disrepair, sitting abandoned for years. Eventually, it was purchased by a hotel group and revived to its former glory as a Victorian-era escape for the well-to-do. In 1997, during renovations of the property, workers found a bizarre discovery. In the woods behind the hotel, they unearthed a glass jar with a mystery object inside. Local authorities determined that it was a cancerous tumor preserved in alcohol one of the very specimens that Norman Baker had used as evidence of the efficacy of his miracle cure. Eventually, more than 400 jars and bottles were brought to light. What workers had discovered was the dump site for what Baker presented as evidence of his success, but was really just one more way he was hiding the truth about his deceptive practices, robbing desperate people of their money, their hope, and eventually, their lives. Is it any wonder the Crescent Hotel is one of the most haunted places in America? I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. Long before European settlers colonized the area, the Native American Osage tribe talked of a great healing spring in what is now northern Arkansas. When Europeans arrived, the indigenous peoples are believed to have shared their knowledge of the spring, having frequented the water for its healing properties. In 1856, Dr. Alva Jackson, a man later referred to as a backwoods pseudo-healer, came upon the waters in an unincorporated part of what had lately become Carroll County, Arkansas. He claimed to have accessed their healing properties, sharing the secret only local until 1879. Then, Jackson brought to the spring a prominent local man, J. 
Judge Levi Saunders, who presided over the Carroll County Courts. Judge Saunders had a disease of the legs and bathed them in the waters during a hunting trip. When the man was healed of his affliction, word spread quickly. People came to the area in droves, hoping to be cured. Soon, Saunders set up camp in the area, followed by a handful of other families. According to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, it was the judge's son, Buck Saunders, who suggested the name Eureka Springs after the phrase Ponce de Leon is said to have exclaimed when he allegedly found the Fountain of Youth, which, if you've been listening for a while, you know is in St. Augustine, Florida. Saunders built the first house in Eureka Springs, and the town was formally founded on July 4, 1879. Shortly after came a general store and a hotel, and droves of people building flimsy wooden shacks near the town's 62 different springs. The cheap wooden structures were especially susceptible to fire, and the town burned down four times between 1883 and 1893. Still, the area developed quickly, boosted by the Eureka Improvement Company founded by former Arkansas Governor Powell Clayton. During this time, the Industrial Revolution was growing cities, but also turning them dirtier and grittier than they had been before, bringing sickness and disease along with development. Victorian-era people with expendable income were increasingly looking for natural treatments. One of the most popular was hydrotherapy, a water cure that purported to improve illnesses and boost general health through immersion in natural, clean, healing waters. Today, it's considered an alternative therapy. Then, it wasn't exactly embraced by the medical community either, with some hydrotherapy practitioners openly speaking against conventional medical practices. Eureka Springs appealed to affluent travelers as a natural reprieve from city life, but also as a method of connecting to nature to heal their ailments. The water cure piqued the interest of citizens at the epicenter of development. Returning to the natural in times of sickness suddenly made sense. An 1881 Eureka Springs promotional pamphlet declared, Certain diseases known as incurable have been brought here, and the improvement in the general health was so marked that invalids jumped at the conclusion that they were well. While people of all kinds had previously inhabited Eureka Springs, the newly founded improvement company knew that money and renown would only come from attracting the wealthy. Eureka Springs was to be a Victorian pleasure resort, not a camp for the down and out. To that end, Clayton and the Improvement Company constructed a marquee hotel high up on a mountaintop, a glamorous and elegant escape they called the Crescent Hotel and Spa, which opened in 1886. The grand structure had 100 guest rooms across five stories, its towers raising high above the tree line. Inside, healing waters from three local springs flowed from the taps. The Crescent enjoyed a prosperous beginning as a year-round hotel, but by 1901, interest in the healing waters had dwindled. The hotel switched to summer-only accommodations. In 1908, for the other three seasons, the hotel became the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women, an academy for affluent girls. Tuition was high, and during the Great Depression, the college shuttered. The hotel limped along as a summer destination and then as a junior college for another decade. Another issue arose around the time of the Depression. Cases of typhoid were linked to three of Eureka Springs waters. Not only did this bode poorly for resort goers, it also put a shadow on the town built on healing. As historian Dr. Timothy Kovalchik notes, 
Talk of death in the healing town was almost non-existent. Perhaps because the town's economy was so closely tied to its reputation, people there became comfortable with the idea of concealing the truth. Certainly at the Crescent, the future held more of that darkness. There were also two tragic deaths at the Crescent in its early years. During its construction, Michael, an Irish stonemason, is said to have fallen to his death where room 218 would later be. During the college years, a young student fell to her death from a balcony. Whether she was pushed or she jumped is unclear, but there were whispers that it might have been over a failed love affair. With the town in a market economic downturn, it only makes sense that when Norman Baker came swooping in with promises of prosperity, the residents of Eureka Springs welcomed him with open arms. So what if he had a dark past? As you might guess, things got ugly fast. A vaudeville performer turned inventor, Baker made his fortune by owning the second largest radio station in North America, a platform he used to peddle his own version of snake oil. At his Baker Institute, which he opened in Iowa, he claimed to be able to heal all manner of sickness. According to the book Border Radio by Gene Fowler and Bill Crawford, his patients roamed around Muscatine with open sores that contaminated town drinking fountains with blood. The hospital began to take in as much as $100,000 a month, and the cash was taken out in suitcases under cover of night. Some reports contended that deceased patients were similarly discharged from the Palace of Healing. Baker claimed so much success at the Institute that he attracted attention. For him, the wrong kind. He was exposed as a fraud who had no medical training and was run out of the state. Eventually, Baker discovered Eureka Springs. When he announced his intention to buy the shuttered Crescent Hotel, locals knew of his reputation and that the American Medical Association denied Baker's claims to cure cancer, but Eureka Springs was desperate and held the man up as a path back to prosperity. During renovations of the hotel, it was renamed the Baker Cancer Curing Hospital. He painted much of the building purple, which is still visible on the chimneys to this day. Baker also installed one of his inventions, a calliophone, which projected songs for miles around. For whatever reason, people believed Baker, buying into his claims that he really could cure the terminally ill. When he opened his new hospital, he brought in his staff from the Iowa location, and more than 100 patients from the other hospital followed him to Arkansas. Baker advertised secret remedies, based on the work of two other known medical fraudsters, whose work he had promoted even after patients died in droves. He would inject those remedies, largely comprised of carbolic acid, glycerin, alcohol, and brewed tea, into tumors, claiming the medicine would eat the cancer without harming the surrounding tissue. Desperate people went to the hospital looking for hope, and Baker was happy to take their money. The town of Eureka Springs was also feeling the effects of renewed tourist interest and was returning to financial stability. But not everyone in town loved Norman Baker. A well-respected local couple, Ray and Chloe Freeman, spoke widely about his false claims. They owned some businesses in town, and seeing that Eureka Springs relied largely on tourism, the couple had contact with many visitors to the area. They had apparently heard rumors of the dark happenings on the ridge above town and warned incoming patients that those who went to Baker Hospital to find a cure found disappointment and sometimes, well, many times, even death. 
Among the horrific accounts of Baker's treatments, he was said to have attempted to cure brain cancer by cutting open the scalp and pouring in a mixture of spring water and ground watermelon seeds directly onto the brain. The victims who died of his unproven methods were treated no better in death than they were in life. For victims at Baker Hospital, according to paranormal writer Troy Taylor, it was said that he hid the bodies for weeks until they could be burned in the incinerator in the middle of the night. As his publicity claimed that he could cure cancer in a matter of weeks, he had to keep the press from finding out that many of his patients died every month. But Baker didn't just try to keep outsiders from the truth. He took those who suffered the most and placed them in an annex, some sources refer to it as an asylum, where they would die in extreme pain. Baker was aware of the talk. In 1939, he published an open letter to them in the local newspaper, claiming that they had used underhanded methods, made discriminating statements, and spread pure falsehoods in attempting to discredit Baker Hospital and doctors to deprive the hospital of patients. He also had fear of attack from the American Medical Association. His office in the Crescent reflected that paranoia. It was walled off behind bulletproof glass. In his personal quarters, it is said that he kept two submachine guns on the wall for easy access, just in case. It took more than two years of patients dying and the clandestine removal of their remains for officials to investigate Baker Hospital. Eventually, he was fined a fraction of the millions he defrauded from people and sentenced to four years in prison. He died, ironically, of cancer shortly after his release. The hospital closed in 1939 and the building was abandoned until 1946 when investors purchased the property and returned the Crescent to its original use as a hotel. In 1997, Marty and Elise Rennick purchased the Crescent and have operated it ever since, though Marty was killed in a car accident in 2006. The building they bought was run down and in disrepair, and they set out to return it to its Victorian heyday. It was during the Rennick's renovations that workers uncovered those 400 jars of tumorous remains and secret remedies. The Arkansas Archaeological Survey matched them up to specimens Baker had used to advertise the hospital in its heyday. According to the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the bottles weren't left behind by Baker, reporting that Keith Scales, who leads the ghost tours at the Crescent, said officials were told that subsequent owners of the building took all of Baker's specimen bottles to the dump in the 1960s. He thought that meant a landfill near Berryville, but apparently it meant a dump behind the building. Today, the Crescent looks much the same as it would have in 1886 when it opened its doors. One of the main differences, though, is that guests won't just find access to the healing waters around the building. They'll also, more than likely, find ghosts. The Crescent has been called America's most haunted hotel. While I'm not totally sold on whether that's actually true, there are a lot of haunted hotels out there with a lot of really cool activity and ghost stories, there's no denying that there are many accounts of unexplained activity at the Crescent. The most notable ghost at the Crescent is that of the Irish stonemason Michael, who died during the hotel's construction when he fell from the roof. Stories say that he was trying to catch the attention of a beautiful lady down below. Michael fell to his death in the spot where room 218 would be. Guests who stay in this room report a list of intense experiences. They range from strange sounds and sensations to scenes so terrifying that, 
According to Haunted Ozarks, guests have left the room screaming and refused to return. One guest even reported seeing hands reaching out from the bathroom mirror. At night, the sound of a large object falling can be heard, but a more visual event has also been noted. Instead of simply hearing the thud of what can only be Michael's fatal fall, people have also reported seeing the aftermath. According to Troy Taylor's writings about the hotel, the wife of one of the proprietors reportedly stayed in room 218 one evening. In the middle of the night, she ran from it, screaming. When staff approached her and asked what incited the outburst, she claimed that she had seen blood splattered all over the walls. Staff members ran up to look, but found no blood or any signs of a disturbance, let alone a violent crime or an accident. Other guests of Room 218 have experienced this same phenomenon to the same degree of horror. Another frequent sighting is of the ghost of the college student who died there. Stories say that she was perhaps jilted by her lover, but whatever the details are, they were known only to her as she stood on a balcony of the Crescent. While the main tale claims that she jumped to escape her sadness, according to Haunted Ozarks, there are other, more whispered accounts. Perhaps some speculate that she was pushed. That would add a sharper edge to her screams, which have been heard by many guests of the Crescent since. The most common experience that people report are with the ghosts of the hotel in its time as the Baker Hospital. It only makes sense. If spirits linger in places of intense emotion, then they're likely to linger at a place that sold false hope, where suffering people placed their hope in a man who was lying to them and stealing their money, only to have their trust betrayed and, more than likely, to die. As Taylor wrote, the deeds committed during this era have unquestionably had a lasting impact on the building and perhaps on the spirits who still linger. Official stories downplay local legend, but those stories maintain a vibrant life based on the unending stream of paranormal anomalies within the Crescent Hotel. A young woman by the name of Theodora appears regularly, according to accounts by paranormal writer Janice Tremere. She often asks for her room key before vanishing. Differing accounts report that she was either a patient or a caretaker of the terminally ill. Some accounts place Theodora in room 419, where she has most often been spotted by housekeepers. Theodora's voice has reportedly been captured on EVP. In Hauntings of America, Taylor wrote that in 1987, a guest claimed she saw a nurse pushing a gurney down the hallway in the middle of the night. The nurse reached the wall and then vanished. Many others have recounted witnessing that very same scene, while others not brave enough to open their door report hearing the squeaking and squealing of a heavily laden cart. She always pushes the cart after 11 p.m., Norman's reported curfew for his patients. The morgue is, unsurprisingly, a hot spot for paranormal activity. According to Bill Ott, the Crescent's Director of Marketing and Communications, the morgue still features the walk-in cooler baker used to store cadavers and body parts, as well as an autopsy table he used chiefly to explore removed cancer, not patients, after death. Hotel staff also recounted that they would get calls on the switchboard from the basement recreation room, but no one was at the other end. They couldn't be, because the room was unused and locked at all times, and the only key was held at the front desk. When staff would check it out, they'd often find that the rec room phone had been taken off the hook, but by who or what was never answered. They had no idea who it could have been because there was only one entrance and exit and one key, which they had. 
A later occurrence, a staff member received yet another one of the mysterious calls, according to Taylor. When he went down to the basement to check, the phone was still on the receiver, but he still maintains that he felt another presence in the room with him. He locked the door behind him, taking the single key with him as he returned to his post. Within five minutes of returning, the switchboard alerted him to yet another incoming call from the very room he just checked and found seemingly empty. Baker himself has been seen as well, in his standard white suit and lavender shirt. Sources recall that he appears sour, confused, and trapped. He is most often seen in the basement near the old recreation room or on the first floor landing, according to Tremere. She wrote that while it is unclear whether Baker felt remorse or was even cognizant of the wrongdoings he committed, an apparition that is believed to be Baker himself has been spotted. Those who have seen him say that he looks lost, first going one way and then another. Up next, I will be talking to Sarah Eccles, a ghost tour guide from the Crescent Hotel. You won't want to miss her first-hand accounts, which, if you're a paranormal investigator, are going to make you want to book a stay there sooner rather than later. That is coming up after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. So I am now joined by Sarah E. Kelly, who is a tour guide at the Crescent Hotel. Uh, and I'm thrilled to have her with us just because this is such a bucket list location for me. So I'm really eager to hear all about it. So thank you for joining us. I, my pleasure. I read a bit about the activity that goes on there and you are a tour guide there. So I'm sure you see a lot. You've experienced a lot. How long have you been there exactly working at the, the hotel? I have been there just about four years now, and um, we get a lot of activity. A lot of times we're working and we can't take the time to capture the activity. Um, I work in the day spa as well as a tour guide there, so I'm there quite a bit um, throughout the day and the evening. Uh, but it's uh, it's a really cool place to work, and I've been there for quite a while now. Now, you say you work in the day spa. It's funny because I frequent uh, a hotel uh, here in New England, the Mount Washington Hotel in New Hampshire. Yeah. And I consider the spa to be one of the most haunted places in the hotel, which I don't like to advertise per se. Right, but, exactly. <laughs> but is that the case for you as well? We have activity in the spa as well. You know, we have the old bowling lanes from 1901, which, you know, is kind of fun. Um, but I would tell you uh, a lot of the activity happens in the hotel, like during the day on the room floors. Um, we really get a lot of that because, you know, spirit 
most active when they would have been alive, you know, during their life or would have been awake during their life. And so I find the creepiest parts of the day are like between 11 and 3 on the the room floors, if I'm honest. So yeah, basically like right after checkout, right before check-in. When there's (laughs) nobody left and it should be quiet, (laughs) but sometimes it's not. So yeah. And I, I think there's something to that because, you know, I'm sure you've encountered this. A lot of people assume that paranormal activity just happens at night. But when you have places like a hotel I think the reason people are more cognizant of it at night is because that's when it's the most quiet. Absolutely. You know, if a ho- yeah. If a hotel is busy, people are bustling around and, you know, the restaurants are open and a ghost could walk right in front of you and you'd think it was a living person. person yeah. And, or you could debunk just about any picture, or any sound that you heard thinking that's another guest in the hallway or in another room. Exactly. But I think that spirits are probably more active during the day just because they're active on our schedules, uh, especially in a place like that. Absolutely. It wasn't that long ago that I was um, coming back from a lunch break in, you know, working in the day spa and through a couple of bars on the stairs, I saw two little hands and two little eyes peeking through. And I thought it was a real kid because and I like kids, you know, there's lots of kids in the hotel. And I popped back up the stairs to like wave and there was no kid there. But there is a child that is seen on that set of stairs all the time. And so it was kind of fun to think that they're connecting with me, but I didn't have time to take a picture or like, but there that was those little hands and those little eyes peeking at me. Well, I think there's something to be said for the personal experience. I think sometimes we get so caught up in trying to capture activity or capture some sort of evidence. But to me, I find those kind of like personal experiences just as compelling. So I tell people all the time, your yourself is your best ghost hunting tool, all of your senses, you know, so. Well, absolutely. Like we don't, I, I try to kind of tell people, if you're in this to have an experience for yourself, don't worry so much about what other people are going to think of it or trying to kind of justify right, it to right. them. So, you know, you had it, so, you had it. Yeah. So this child that you saw, uh-huh. is this, you said that's a regular occurrence. Like how often are people encountering this, uh, the spirit? Pretty often, actually. Now, it's not somebody that it's not a spirit that we talk about on the tour. It just seems to be an interaction that we have quite often on those stairs. Um, People will feel like they got their dress tugged on. Um, People wake up in the middle of the night to a little kid waking them like they do in the middle of the night. Um, And that activity is kind of second floor and down those stairs there. And we've gotten pictures of her several times. In fact, when I had my experience, uh, with her, I'd mentioned it to another guide and she's like, you're kidding because we just got a picture of that same girl going up the stairs like last night. And it was like, oh, that's kind of cool when you connect those stories as well with somebody's photograph or whatever it is. But she becomes very regular for us, I think. Now, do you have any idea who she might be? We don't right at the moment. And we're always investigating, trying to find out. But I feel like in the Crescent especially, We have so many spirits that are ready to connect with us that want to have that interaction with us that it's almost hard to pinpoint. Uh, I find when Uh I'm investigating, a lot of times I can't rely that there's only one person trying to come through, uh, that we get several coming through. So it's hard to pinpoint names and and things like that. But uh, but yeah, but she looks like she's kind of from the Victorian times, from the pictures. Uh, She wears a little dress and has her hair kind of curled in that you know, same kind of way or maybe shortly after in the uh, 20s. But she is not of this time. That's for sure. (laughs) No. And yeah, no, that 
doesn't sound yeah. it. So do you, uh, what would you think is maybe kind of the more common types of activity that people encounter at the hotel? More commonly, you know, in their rooms, they will get uh, woken or poked. We have one particular spirit named Michael, who's particularly roguish and uh, women will say that he strokes their hair or um, will tickle them or um, or open the bathroom door on them while they're in there. You know, things like oh. that become kind of common occurrences. And also another one of our, our, our really most um, felt experience, or I should say smelled experiences, uh, is Dr. Ellis uh, was a, a doctor there. He was the hotel physician. And they smell his cherry tobacco down the hallways, in the lobby, and usually when I tell the story, like half of my tour was like, oh, my gosh, I smelled it earlier. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, I smelled it, you know, uh, two days ago. And it doesn't happen all the time when we can't smoke in the hotel. Cherry tobacco is not something that is very popular right now. So it becomes something that you go, huh, OK. But that's one that I hear quite often. Now, I understand like the hotel history is kind of dark. Sure. You know, it's definitely different. Uh, but from what I've heard, it doesn't necessarily have a heavy feeling no. to it. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That, and and why do you think that is? I actually think, you know, the dark part of our history was so short. You know, Norman uh-huh. Baker being there and running it as a cancer hospital uh, was only about two years of our existence. But most of the time it was a place of celebration. It was a place that that. Uh, the wealthy folks went to vacation and they didn't have as many problems as some of the less <laughs> fortunate. Uh, and also, I think that our spirits are um, friendly as far as, uh, you know, they're not negative entities. Uh, they had an unfortunate passing uh, and they're just trying to connect with somebody. And so if they were to try to scare us off, I don't know that everybody would want to connect. Um, but right. I do think uh, it's mostly, and I'm not saying there aren't a couple of negative uh energies in the hotel but for the most part people's spirit experiences become almost comical or like trickery you know and not necessarily that scary kind of spirit experience uh, for instance i had a guest um that had told me uh they brewed coffee in the morning and the coffee pot you can't see through so she figured it brewed she went to pour it and there was nothing in there and then a couple hours later, underneath the coffee pot, there's a drawer that it was sitting on and the coffee ended up in the drawer. Not scary, just uh, letting them know in that way that is unmistakable that something crazy happened here and it was not human done, you know? So. Right, exactly. And that's so I I feel like I investigate many hotels that kind of have that same vibe. And sure. I know a lot of us have speculated that perhaps spirits have had great you know, memories there and they're coming back for some reason, like something profound happened to them or they vacationed there. And so you do have these kind of spirits that make themselves known, but they're not necessarily doing anything harmful. um, Now, you did say you had a a couple that might make themselves known in more of a, I don't want to say negative, but maybe in a more uh, mischievous way. What what kind of interactions do those ones pose? Um, mostly it's a sadness above anything else. When I say negative, I don't even mean like mean or hateful. Uh, it really is this sadness that comes over people when they're in our morgue area where they used to keep the bodies or um, in the area where he used to keep um, in the we call it the pain asylum. But uh, this place that he used to keep people um 
well, they were very sick because it wasn't good for his business to see people dying of cancer. And you feel a real heaviness. Sometimes people feel the pain in their stomach. Um, we had a medium out not that long ago, and I can't be in there myself. I get the same pain, and I'm not very sensitive myself. Um, but confirm that that was something that she was feeling and thought it was spirit connected. Um, I've had people burst into tears as we get into the morgue area that are like, I'm not a crier. And as they're like, you know, pouring tears out of their eyes, I just had somebody do it the other night. So those are the things that I find to be more negative. Uh, no, nothing super harmful. It just doesn't make you feel real good, you know? Right. I mean, that's kind of the the classic, almost unfinished business. Right. You know, this is kind of a, a very strange set of circumstances where you have people who are terminally ill and it's kind of being hidden in a way yes and and like what does what imprint does that leave well uh, and not you know, even oh sorry go ahead no go ahead you know uh, more than i do well, so <laughs> and not only that but like norman baker when he was telling them that they're you know they needed to go back to the asylum because san- asylum are sanitary and you went to go get healthy to be sick part of his treatment was mental therapeutics and he was very much putting it on them like you're not doing this properly or you would be healed So they also felt, I think, a level of guilt or like I can feel that sometimes in the hotel, like I didn't do enough for myself when actually it was not something that they could have done for themselves. They were they were kind of being swindled into thinking this would work, you know. Yeah, I can't even imagine like a their mindset, but b like what that leaves behind. Right. You know, so many. Yeah. So many spirits we encounter. It is. You know, they there's something that is keeping them there. There's something that they either feel guilty about, or there's something that they, they a message they want to get across. Uh-huh. And I can't imagine being in that place where you're basically being told you're dying because you're not doing you're not good doing enough. good enough exactly. <laughs> and then how do you handle that? And when they finally pass, of course, they feel like they could have probably done more, or they should have done something different, or. Uh-huh. You know, their families weren't ready for them to go and they just can't cross over. I mean, all those kinds of things come into play. But again, it's it's kind of specific areas in the hotel and that most of it, like you said, is pretty lighthearted um, uh-huh. connecting. I'd also tell you that they miss people. In the wintertime, when we do get a little bit slow, they're not as active. Uh-huh. You know, because there's not people around to interact with. And we do something in the wintertime called Eureka Springs Paranormal Weekends, and we open all our haunted rooms. We hunt them for a couple of days, and it's like a convention. But you can feel the buzz in the hotel when they, it's like they know it's coming. And you can feel the energy rise up and things start to happen around us. And then we're like, oh, my God, they know the people are coming to see them. It's a really crazy (laughs) feeling uh, to know that some of them are looking, not all of them, uh, but some of them are looking forward to that connection with people again that they haven't had in a, a month or so, you know. Well, I think we really experienced that during kind of the height of the pandemic oh, when some of these places were closed. I'm sure you were too. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and I felt like some of these entities were kind of like, what is going on? Where are my people? Exactly. <laughs> you know? And when we would come back and investigate places, they were so eager yeah. to interact. Like, you know, I don't think we realize how much they kind of either look forward to or just even rely on us to keep them kind of engaged. Yes, absolutely. Now, how many people visit 
the hotel and just have no idea of its reputation. Like, I feel like it's like everyone should know that it's haunted. But do you ever have people just come in and are just completely surprised by this fact? Yes. And I'm always surprised that they're surprised because it's all over the place. It's really hard to avoid if you have not Googled us one time. You know, you must have not known. But we still do get people that don't know that place is haunted. And some of them are comfortable with it. Some of them are not. I always just try to, you know, let them know in my experience that most spirits are people. And most people are not bad people. Uh, maybe they're not as friendly or maybe they're more friendly, but they're, they are just people and that it's nothing to be afraid of, you know. Uh, but it does happen sometimes. Yeah, I think humanizing them is very important. Right. You know, it's I think a lot of the things that spirits do, uh, if you actually like saw a living person doing it, most of the time it would not be that creepy right although sometimes right 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 (laughs) but most of the time they're just doing these daily you know things or again just trying to connect not trying to scare you away or get you out of their space you know right now are there apparitions seen at the hotel there is i know the little girl but is there anyone else that people might stumble upon Um, brecky is uh one of our most seen i think spirits he's a little boy that was there during the college days And uh, he seems to be very, I mean, he seems to connect with the children and we get a lot of families in. So that's one that they see because these kids, gosh, they're so much more open than we are. They don't doubt themselves. I definitely saw a little boy right there and he wasn't one of us, you know. So Mm -hmm. I think he's one of our most seen spirit by eyeball. Uh, Everything else can kind of be felt. Pictures are taken in in reflections. Uh, But he seems to be pretty well interacting with people on the regular. So... Mm-hmm. And then now what about like shadow figures? And, shadow figures. And we do have one, I would say, uh, actually in the morgue area, uh, which is con- is uh, connected to the laundry room and all that stuff. But uh, he whatever that I say, it's a he. I don't know for sure. Um, but whatever <sighs> the shadow figure is, will peek around the corner. Um, now, when we take a tour down there, it's a private tour. You know, only ticketed people can be down there. And it's gotten every guide at least one time where it, was, it looks like somebody <sighs> peeks around the corner or shadow does. And we go to kick somebody out of the <laughs> area and there's nobody there. Um, and mm. I, I don't think that that's actually related to Norman Baker at all. Um, I think that was a little bit later on. But that shadow figure, he the, the person is very tall and leans around corners uh, all over that place. So, yeah. Now. When you started, uh, did you start in the spa first or were you a tour guide first? I actually started in the day spa and I was there first for about a year before I started doing the tours. Um, But, you know, the activity was always there. You knew it was there. Um, And uh, and then when I started doing the tours, you know, I really got involved in the uh, paranormal investigating side. And you you're I'm always surprised at what kind of activity we can get. Yeah. So. Was there a point where you kind of went, oh, there's something to this? Like you started in the spot. Did you have an experience or an epiphany like, oh, this place is definitely haunted that made you kind of want to be more interested and maybe get involved in the paranormal side? I was more? kind of interested in it from the beginning, I would say, uh, interested in that kind of stuff. But I would say the the most poignant moment for me was and and also seeing how commonplace it was. We were cleaning up the the day spa. And of course, that's what we do when we're not busy is we clean. Uh, And uh, there was a glass cleaner on the counter and it moved over all by itself. And one of the girls jumped back, put her hands up and said, did anybody else see that? And one girl said yes. And three of us (laughs) said no. And then we just went back to cleaning. And I was like, really? 
okay, well, that's how <laughs> common this stuff is. And again, not harmful, just moved it over. We all went, okay, we saw that. And then we moved on with our lives. <laughs> but, uh, that's but, yeah. funny. Like, you're just like, this is what, this happens, is what happens here. here. Okay, Everybody's got it. very like, okay, that's just the way it is around here. But again, nobody seems afraid. I have very sensitive friends that, that work with me in the day spa, and they still continue to work there, which says something about uh you know our spirit activity not being threatening but but that was one of those moments where i was like boy this is a little bit more common than i thought but you can feel the energy as soon as you walk it i would say as soon as you drive onto the property you just know you're someplace really special that has something above and beyond your hotel experience now what do you think lends to that do you think it's just because it's the hotel itself do you think it's something environmental like why do you think this has become such a haunted Well, I place. definitely think the limestone has a lot to do with it. You know, we do find, um, I'm to understand that the water uh, running over limestone makes uh, electromagnetic forces that are, uh, that are measurable. It's creating energy. Mm-hmm. And so we do see that in the, you know, the limestone walls. When it rains down those walls, there is an energy that can be picked up and the, the spirits are way more active. Um, we have these limestone quarries uh, in town where everything was locally or uh, limestone deposits where things were locally quarried from. And there's still free flowing springs going through those. And also remembering that uh, there's places all over the world with high concentrations of limestone that uh, talk about the same things that we do. You know, religious places, sacred places, healing waters. It's not that weird that this combination of uh, different kinds of stone and these waters going through kind of... Um, help out the spirit activity, I would think. Right. Makes yeah. sense. Um, now, so if someone's going to visit the mm-hmm. hotel and they would like to have an interaction on a paranormal level, like, do you have any recommendations for them? Where should they go? Uh, what should they do? How should they approach it? I really it? think the best way to do it is to keep an open mind. Um, I always like to tell people to introduce yourself. Let them know that you're open to activity, that you're not afraid to connect with them. Uh, and of course, we have specific haunted rooms that are uh, more active than others. And all that means is not that the other rooms are not active as well, but that it's more consistently active. And I was just going to yeah. ask that any rooms that people should go yes, for. We have we have five, I, five rooms. I'm going to get this wrong, but there there is um, 419. <laughs> we have 218. Uh, 212, 101, and then the North Penthouse, which is the fi- is 502, but that's Norman Baker's uh, suite as well. Uh, so we mm. have quite a few rooms that are, are more active than others, I would say. More consistently active. Okay. That, now, if someone is there and they're experiencing paranormal activity and they don't necessarily want to, <laughs> what, what is your advice My to them? My advice to them would be uh, keep calm. And relax, you know, don't overthink it because a lot of times it's not spirit activity. You know, it is just somebody because we are haunted. Unfortunately, people like to add to the experience. They'll come by and knock on your door Mm -hmm. or um, they will make woo -woo sounds outside. Um, And uh, because it is a beautiful place to be. um, But also in that same way, just letting the spirits know uh, I am not cool with this. So if we can just keep it to a minimum, I always say that talking out loud to spirits is the best way to get through, you know, because they are listening, you know, and whether that will make them not uh, mess with you or make them mess with you more, I'm not sure. Uh, but I do find the non-believers uh, get that activity just to like so they could prove that they're there. So 
maybe just being yeah. friendly and open and also letting them know that I really want to have a good night's sleep tonight if we could just keep it to the minimum. Be great. Exactly. That's the same yeah. advice I give people. And I'm always like, if you're that worried about it, you better bring a uh, sleep and mask some and ear, some earplugs. Uh, exactly. <laughs> earplugs. And, and good, good night. night. And try to <laughs> you know, take so. a little melatonin to, to amp it up. Yeah. Something. But really, again, it's not supposed to be scary. And uh, and again, for those people that have come to the hotel and been either scared or non-believers, you know, they still left with a great experience and and wanted to still come back. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so if people do want to visit, obviously they can book a room or whatever. But if they want to do a ghost tour, if they want to do investigating, what do they need um, to do? We actually have ReserveEureka.com, which is a website. Uh, you go on there and you can buy tickets for the ghost tour. They run twenty nine fifty. Um, per person and we will sometimes do up to 12 to 13 ghost tours a night on a weekend night during the busy time wow. so we have plenty of opportunity we take about 20 people <laughs> on each tour and we tour the entire hotel and the only way you can get down into the morgue is to take the tour so that's great well i really appreciate you taking no, the time yes, thank tonight you to chat so with much me. i appreciate you I am uh, super curious about the hotel. Um, I've come this close so many times to getting there, so I'm going to make it happen. We I promise. hope to see you soon. Um, <laughs> and I also want to say that I'm a big fan of yours, that I appreciate the the reality that you bring to ghost investigating. So uh, I, I appreciate you guys and your show as well. Oh, well, thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, Sarah, thanks for joining me. Awesome. And hopefully we'll meet in person very soon. Good. Thank you so much, Amy. The Crescent Hotel has clearly had so much more history and happiness in its past than despair. But the despair that does exist in its past is intense. More intense than most beautiful hotels you'd visit. I really can't think of many places that would have that much cause for a haunting. Imagine the mindset of someone desperately ill and dying, walking through the doors and feeling hope, saying goodbye to family members, hoping to return to them cured, only to be carted away in the middle of the night after not making it at all. Perhaps pieces of them cut out and left to rot behind the building. Remember that mindset when you visit the Crescent and reach out to those spirits there accordingly. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni with additional research by Taylor Hagedorn and Cassandra De Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima Elkayali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.